Well, can you believe that we are finally past 2020? It feels like it's been 10 years to be able to say that, but uh, we are finally past the year 2020. I don't know if you've been tracking with any of these online, but there have been some images that have been provided uh, about what 2020 felt like for many of us uh, to just kind of illustrate it. And so uh, take a look at this first one. Uh, if 2020, it says we're a scented candle. This is uh, kind of what it would uh, represent as a bit of a dumpster fire of a year for many of us. I like this one. Uh, if 2020 were a pinata, uh, that would be kind of painful, wouldn't it? Um, this is probably my favorite. Uh, if 2020 were toilet paper, no, there was a lot of talk about TP, but it really uh, kind of felt like this, I think, for many of us. Here's what 2020 would look like if it were a boat. Uh, I know some of us feel like our year was sinking like that. Uh, another one I really liked was if 2020 were a swing. You know, kind of crashing in to the wall like uh, many of us have felt. Uh, some of us might relate to this one. If 2020 were a bag of chips, notice the flavor, orange juice and toothpaste, kind of the yuck that this whole year has brought. Um, here's 2020 if it were a hula hoop. I know for some of us, we had a bit of a barbed wire experience of this past year. And uh, for many of us, we, we can relate to this one if 2020 were a slide. It started off fine, and then the last kind of two-thirds or three-quarters, it just crashed to the ground. But we can now say and celebrate that 2020 is behind us, and we can officially press the refresh button on our lives for a brand new year. And so that's what we want to do now uh, in the next five weeks of this uh, series. We want to start today by looking at what it's going to take for us to hit the refresh button on our relationship with God. And the challenge, of course, is that I've only got 20 minutes to kind of boil down all of the mysteries of relating to the divine and all of the thousands of years of people and writings and experience on how to do this. And so to kind of simplify things to what I think is uh, the most basic kind of irreducibles of a life of faith. Uh, I'm going to kind of base this on the story of a dad friend of mine who a number of years ago uh, had their son come up to them and just out of the blue, filled with passion, had said to them, Daddy, I love Jesus. And this faith dad of mine, his heart warmed and he was so proud for the trajectory that this child was on until his kid uh, kind of continued with his thought. And he said, and Daddy, he said, I love Santa. I love Jesus and I love Santa. The question is, what's the difference? And as simple as that might sound, I feel like there are some key differentiators that if we can be clear on at the dawn of a desperately needed brand new year, then we can press the refresh button on our lives when it comes to our relationship with God. One of those differentiators, obviously, is the way that you enter into a relational dynamic uh, along these lines. And uh, with Santa, of course, uh, it means getting off the naughty list and onto the nice list, right? You want to be nice instead of naughty, and relating to Santa or experiencing Santa's benefit in your life has everything to do with how you behave, and some of us translate that into our lives with God. We assume that, you know, we can experience God's blessing in our lives because we're generally a good person or the contrary, that there's no way God could love us or be faithful to us because of what we've done in the past. But the truth is, from the Bible's perspective, nothing could be further from reality. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 
8 and 9. It says there, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The bottom line of a life with God is that it is made possible only through the grace of God. Grace literally meaning a gift. It's not through anything that you or I could earn or deserve based on what we do. It's exclusively based on what God has done for us on our behalf in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And so because of that, entering into a relationship with Jesus requires a very different posture. This is what Jesus taught first things first in his most famous message recorded in the Bible, what's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5, where he said there, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, meaning the people who can experience a life with God and his activity in their lives are people who bring a poverty of spirit to the table, an emptiness that realizes that we bring nothing to the table, that everything that we have in a life with God is a gift to receive from him. And that's kind of the first, I would say, differentiator between loving Jesus and loving Santa is a posture of humility that enters in from the very beginning and continues entering in, knowing that we're not actually bringing any value to the table, that God doesn't owe us because we're generally a good person, that God isn't unfair in not delivering certain blessings according to what we define as blessing because of what we've done or earned, but rather a posture of humility that knows that we don't deserve anything and we can't earn anything and that everything that we experience in a life with God is the product of his grace. It is simply a gift from him through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now that Ephesians 2 passage mentioned by grace through faith, and I would say that's the second differentiator between loving Jesus and loving Santa is the kind of faith it requires. Most of us assume that faith is just believing in something that you can't see. And so to access Santa, I need to believe in him. And to access Jesus, I need to believe in him, kind of apples to apples. But from the Bible's perspective, it defines a faith in Jesus very differently. Look at what it says in James chapter 2, for starters. It says there, you believe that there is a God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Simply believing in the existence of God or simply believing that Jesus is real is a far cry from the kind of faith that God invites us into in a relationship with him. Jesus described this kind of faith, a more active faith, in his most famous sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, he says this in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He says, not everyone who recognizes me, who who acknowledges that I exist, that I'm real, is going to experience a life with me. He says, only those who have the kind of faith that is willing to do what I invite them and instruct them into doing. It's an active faith that follows him. 
That's the second differentiator between a life of loving Jesus and a life of just loving Santa is a, an active faith that is willing to follow him, that's willing to learn of what he teaches in order to implement it in our lives to a greater degree and progressively live on a journey of followership, implementing more, of, more and more of what he says in our lives. That kind of leads us to the third differentiator, and that is the whole point or the whole finish line of that journey, why you would follow Jesus in the first place. Obviously, when it comes to Santa, we believe in Santa and we want to stay on the nice list instead of the naughty list so that we can get our wish list granted, so that Santa can provide us our Christmas wish list. The thing is, in a life with God, when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, it's actually his wish list that he hopes we would want to pursue. Take a look at what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says there to make every effort to add to your faith, your basic followership made possible by God's grace, add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. He says, whoever does not have these qualities in increasing measure is nearsighted, nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed of their past sins. So the Bible describes a, a life of faith, a followership of Jesus as a journey. And it describes it as a journey of character transformation. And it goes so far as to say, if you're not on a journey of character transformation, then you've forgotten the whole point of why God offers a life of faith in Jesus Christ in the first place. It's to pursue an increasing character transformation in the direction of his likeness and ultimately to pursue a life of love. Now, some of us wonder, you know, what we get out of it, whether God wants to provide for us and care for us. And for sure, a life of faith is in response to the gift and to the love that God has for us and the way he wants to actively be involved faithfully in our lives. But even in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reframed those priorities for those who would seek to follow him. He said in Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33, he says, you shouldn't worry about everyday things saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, people who lack faith, the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. He says, but instead seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. He says the point of a life of faith and followership of him is not to get our agenda or our wishes granted, almost like a spiritual vending machine. The point is to actually advance God's purposes in the world, to fulfill his wishes and desires. That's what Jesus means by seeking first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, to pursue a life of active faith and followership of him that progressively leads to more and more of his character being exuded in our lives personally and his purposes being accomplished and exuded in the world. That it's actually about following Jesus for his reasons more than following him for ours. Gang, at the dawn of a brand new year, where every part of us wants to press the refresh button in our lives, let's take a moment and put those ingredients together. 
Because the life that God is inviting us into is a far cry from treating God like a spiritual vending machine, simply relating to him to have our wishes granted, simply through believing that he exists, acquiescing to the idea that he's real, dependent on what we do, making sure we're on the nice list instead of the naughty list. That's just treating God like a spiritual equivalent to Santa. Jesus invites us into a relationship made exclusively by his grace that we enter into with a humble posture through an active faith that's willing to follow him on a journey of pursuing his likeness and character in our lives over time and contributing to advancing his purposes in the world. That's the life he invites us into where, yes, we can experience God's best. But let's be clear that God's best is only experienced through his definition of a relationship with him. God's best is only experienced through his definition of a relationship with him. I was reminded of this a couple weeks ago when I was doing my uh, small bit of token Christmas shopping. I don't do a lot of Christmas shopping, but there are a couple items on Becky's list that I have to go and uh, pick up on my own. And uh, one of those was the request for a hooded sweatshirt. And so uh, I'd asked my daughter Adeline to come along with me to just give me a bit of a, a female stamp of coolness approval on this sweatshirt. So Addie jumped in the car and we went to the mall and uh, went to the store where I was going to buy this sweatshirt and I found the one that I'd been looking for on the rack and I pulled it out and as I was showing it to Addie, on the rack beside that, there were other hoodies there and she had pulled one out and she said, Dad, I think Mom would really like this one. And I had already picked one up and so I said, well, you know, don't you think that she'd like this one? I, I think this one's kind of cool. She says, no, this one's way better, Dad, trust me. And I looked at the two and I didn't really like the other one and I, I thought, well, Ad, don't you don't you think that this one, that mom would like this one better? I I, I think this one is is way more mom's style. And finally, she she put the hoodie that she liked on the rack, and she just looked at me and she said, "Dad, did you just bring me here to validate your opinion, or do you actually want my help? Did you just bring me here to validate your opinion, or do you actually want my help?" And I'll tell you, it was funny at the time, but but I thought about that a lot on the drive home and that whole rest of the evening, wondering how many times. Jesus wants to quietly whisper that question into hearts like mine. Do, do we actually want Jesus' help in our lives, or do we simply want him to validate our opinions, confirm our biases, you know, reestablish and cement our pre-existing convictions or values, you know, protect us from our blind spots, propagate our privilege, enhance our sense of convenience and comfort, and just kind of mitigate our bad circumstances? Because gang, if that's the case, we just wanna treat God like a vending machine and we wanna to relate to Jesus like he's a spiritual equivalent to Santa. The question at the dawn of a desperately needed brand new year is, will we follow Jesus according to his definition of what following Jesus requires? A humble posture that actively trusts our faith in him enough to follow him and pursue his ideals so that over time we can bear his likeness to a greater degree and advance his purposes in the world. That's the question God is inviting us to consider at the dawn of a new year. As we consider that, uh, we want to invite all of us uh, for the next number of weeks, as we consider pressing that refresh button in our lives when it comes to our relationship with God, to engage in a collective spirit 
spiritual practice. And uh, for the next month, we're going to invite everyone across our whole community to the simple spiritual practice of Bible reading, and specifically to reading the three chapters of Jesus' most famous sermon. I've alluded to it a number of times in this talk, the Sermon on the Mount contained from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. For the next 28 days, we're going to encourage everyone on a daily basis, first thing in the morning, late at night, or at your lunch break, or whenever, to at least once a day commit to reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and from front to back, reading the whole Sermon on the Mount and opening our hearts up to what God would have to say to us as he teaches us for an entire month about the kind of humble posture, the kind of active faith and followership, and the kind of character transformation and his purposes in the world that he would like us to increasingly propagate and exude. And at the very end of this uh, exercise, at the very end of this practice, on our last week of this Hitting Refresh series, our teaching pastor, Mike Krause, is actually going to preach on the entire Sermon on the Mount. And I feel like if we can commit to this spiritual practice for the next four weeks, for the next 28 days, we can experience something profound that can significantly set a new trajectory for our lives in a new year that we desperately need. Personally, uh, knowing that we were going to enter into this adventure together, uh, I started on the 1st of January, and so I'm a couple days uh, ahead. I got a bit of a head start. And one of the things that I'm going to try to do is, on different days of the week, to read the Sermon on the Mount through different translations of the Bible, to try to give myself a, a little bit more of, of a broader perspective. And uh, earlier this week, uh, I was able to read the message paraphrase of the Sermon on the Mount, and I was struck by the very first verse, kind of the context text that Matthew provides before Jesus begins teaching. It says this in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 in the message paraphrase. It says, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, they climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. I was struck by the reality that even from the very beginning, right from the beginning of when Jesus started his teaching ministry, there were already two kinds of people. There were large crowds looking to see what they could get from Jesus. And there was a committed group of followers who actually wanted to align their lives with his teaching in an increasing way. There was a big crowd and a small group of committed followers. And at the dawn of a new year that many of us desperately need, the first things first question that God is inviting us to consider is which kind of person do you want to be this year? Let's pray together. God, we want to thank, thank you in uh, the midst and at the completion of a very difficult year for so many of us uh, for your tireless, consistent faithfulness. And I pray that even uh, through this service today, that you would remind us of who you want to be in our lives, that you would remind us of who you've faithfully been, and you would inspire us to a brand new year of following you more fully than we ever have before. 
God, remind us of the kind of posture to receive your grace, the kind of active faith to engage in following Jesus more fully, and the finish line of your purposes in our lives and in the world that you desire us to advance in increasing ways. And make us those people personally and together as a community that commit to that way of life. God, I want to pray uh, your blessing on this spiritual practice for the next 28 days. I pray that it would be a rich, meaningful time for every one of us and for us collectively as a church. But more than that, I pray that through it, we would learn how to be an increasing blessing to you. That's our prayer this year as we resolve more than anything, first things first, to put you first in 2021. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.